Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelog, the podcast of Kanye Nast Traveler. And I'm here in the podcast studios with Kara Parks on the Skype, who is an editor at large for Roads and Kingdoms. We got the competition, sort of, kind of, on, on the show today. Um, she also used to be at Modern Farmer, which will be relevant, as you'll see soon. And Verena Von Fetten, who is the co-founder of Gossamer. And Gossamer is a website and soon to be, or already, a magazine. Mm-hmm. As of the time people hear this, there will be a magazine. Yep. I've seen it secretly. Yes. Am I allowed to say you that? You can say that. Okay. And yeah. it's beautiful. <laughs> it's awesome. Thank you. So she's... Already kind of famous. She's going to be more famous. So you get to hear her here. Guys, what an intro. (laughs) Um, And the topic of the week this week is I'm not even 100% sure what to call it. So you guys can help me out with this because there may be terms of art that you're aware of that I'm not. But we've just been calling it weed tourism around the office. Is that fair? Do we call it cannabis? Do we have to be all kind of proper and grown up? I would call it weed tourism. Um, Obviously, the industry uses the word cannabis. And I think that's fine. I think most people still just call it weed. It's kind of like the difference between calling something like alcohol versus beer and wine. Versus booze. Yeah, booze. And so regular people would call it, you know, a booze tour or a beer tour or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. weed tourism sounds good to me. So this is a subject for which I'm, my mom never listens to this show, so I don't (laughs) really have to care. But but I am truly naive. This is something that we've talked about covering at Traveler many times, but we haven't quite delved into it yet. So this is our first sort of exploration of what has become, it seems like from various pieces that I've seen, a thriving business in a lot of places. And I'm wondering if we could start from a place of true naivete. This is a real question for me. What is the state of the state? Because I feel like lots of things have been happening. What's actually legal where and what can people know about the different regions of the country? Sure. I'll, I'll take it. I'll start. Go uh, for it. Cannabis obviously is still federally illegal, but a handful of states and ever more uh, have either decriminalized it, made it medically legal or recreational um, or legalized it for quote unquote adult use, um, which I think is the preferred term. It makes it sound a little less fun <laughs> and than adult, recreational. But this yeah. probably varies from place to place, but with alcohol, right? Yep. Like there used to be 18 in some places and then we got nationally 21. Is there an age by which you become an adult? It does. It depends on the state. So okay. I, I believe Maine, for example, was 18, and now they've petitioned to raise it to 21. But the handful of states that are 100% legalized for adult use, uh, the sort of usual suspects I think most people are familiar with at this point, California, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, Alaska, Maine too, and then Massachusetts, although there is, you know, there's a little bit of lag in some of those states in terms of dispensaries actually being open and available to the public. So like the legislation is passed, but then there's, you know, still some stuff that needs to happen before you can wander in off the street and buy it. And uh, although uh, it's not a state, I would note that the District of Columbia is also on that list. Uh, As a Maryland native, I am bound by law to mention that. (laughs) And as a Canadian, I can apologize for for leaving it out. (laughs) (laughs) And those are places where you don't need a prescription. You can just go into, are they called dispensaries? Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I think of dispensary as a medical thing, and that's like how it started, right? Totally. Well, I think as far as the um, dispensary aspect goes, I think it's only Washington and um, Colorado where you can sell recreational cannabis from a dispensary. Is that true? I don't think that's right because like California has like MedMen, for example, um, which is a dispensary that used to be medical that you could now walk into and purchase recreationally in West Hollywood. As a non-resident? Is that, okay. Oh, sorry. As a non-resident, yeah, um, yeah, okay, yeah, because okay. like Nevada too. I mean, that I mean that'll be a bigger conversation also. But the, yeah, I, I think you can literally walk in off the street, stand in line in most cases because they're so popular. There are then some tricks about where you're going to consume it, which I'm sure we'll get into as we keep talking about oh, it. Oh, yeah. let's get. Uh, but you mentioned Nevada is in some kind of gray space. What's the... No, Nevada's recreational also okay, for adult is. use. Oh, did I leave them off my first list? I don't know. I might have. Um, sorry. Check the tape, people. Yeah. Uh, but so obviously Las Vegas, I mean, that's basically like a town that exists almost purely for tourism. Yeah. Um, so I think weed tourism in Las Vegas is a huge industry and one that people are excited about. But the catch that I think is most interesting and is going to apply probably to this conversation and to most of the cities and states we're talking about, where do you smoke it? Where do you consume it? Great question. You can't 
you can't on the street and you can't in most of the hotel rooms, right? right. You can't in the casinos. So edibles are probably like the biggest business when it comes to tourism um, because there are a lot of cities and states where you cannot smoke outside and you right. can't consume it in public. And if you're a tourist and don't have the privacy of your own home, you know, you're sort of in this weird gray area where you can buy it, but don't actually have anywhere to consume it. So it has to be a private home? Yeah. In most, I mean, it really varies um, state by state and even in some instances, city by city. But yeah, that's basically your safest bet. If you want to make sure like you're not going to run afoul of fines or any issues somewhere that is a private home or a private space. Yeah, I feel like that's one thing the hotel industry is just starting to get into is kind of establishing their own private spaces where people can smoke, although they're all, you know running into those regulatory issues between like smoking in rooms might not be possible, um, but maybe you can like smoke by the pool or smoke in a, lo- a dedicated lounge or something like that. Is there a sense of any states that are doing it really well right now? Are there any states that are kind of leading edge in terms of capitalizing on this? I don't know that anyone is truly like leading edge. It's all happened so, so quickly. Like California went recreational this year. Um, I mean, I guess Colorado has been adult use for the long, one of the longest two years. Yeah, it's been. Yeah, I think Colorado is, Colorado is probably the farthest ahead is just in terms of how much, how many resources they've put into it. I don't necessarily think state resources have gone into it, but private industry has definitely, I think, made the most inroads as far as tours you can take, you know, different classes that are available, dispensaries that, you know, advertise themselves as a destination for tourists. And and they're the ones who always, I I feel like that's the only place I ever hear the term bud and breakfast, which (laughs) is like the worst. worst I I had never heard that term. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. It makes me cringe every time I hear it, but at least they're like, at least they're trying, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I know, um, Colorado also has like a handful of private clubs. They're not necessarily sanctioned, um, but they do exist in terms of like trying to fill the smoking space void. And I think they're trying to figure out what the legislation would look like in order to allow something to exist with a permit that is purely for the consumption of cannabis. Kind of like, you know, when you talk about Amsterdam and everyone thinks of the cafes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's one thing to buy it, but just then a place to hang out and, and consume. Yeah, sure. Is there any tension in these states around the federal government, particularly since the Trump administration took over? Have they taken a position? I feel like Sessions took a position on this, but I don't know if he's actually done anything about it. Yeah. I mean, Sessions sort of said he, not sort of, I think pretty clearly said he wasn't interested in, um, you know, the Obama era sort of lax approach to it. And he had, and I believe has instructed, you know, the states on like a policing level to prosecute and charge. But the reality is like it is legal. Um, And so I think most of the states are disregarding that because it's also a huge amount of money. I think California has publicly said it. Colorado has publicly come out. Most of them have just said like, thanks, but no thanks. We're not going to listen to you because, you know, this is a, I believe the projected revenue for California is in the billions or at least north of a billion dollars. So it would seem insane for them. Um, You know, it's the world's, what, sixth or seventh largest economy um, for them to sort of be like, oh, yes, sure, we're going to roll this back. Um, And I think federally, like they're seeing money from that as well. At this point, things may slow and it may be a little slower with Sessions and Trump for other states to turn. Um, But I don't think anything's going to be rolled back, so to speak. But a number of the ones you just described seem like they've come into the fold, so to speak, within the last year, year and a half. Yeah, I mean, some of those things were have been in progress for a couple of years. But I, sure. I mean, you can even see it in New York, right? Like you have uh, Cynthia Nixon, uh, yeah, who's yeah. campaigning loud and proudly and aggressively for cannabis legalization. That has in turn, I think Cuomo, like immediately <laughs> within like a day was like, yeah, me too, me too. Um, and I, I'm also, what did I see yesterday that um, Boehner just joined the board? He did, yeah. yeah. That was kind of amazing. Um, right. So like you're, you know, the other thing we talk about a lot, at least at Gossamer and Kara, I'm sure you've seen this, but cannabis is actually like the least partisan issue. People think of it as maybe like super liberal. But if you look at it from a party line perspective, like Republicans versus Democrats, it's equal parts. Everyone wants it legalized um, or at least an even split between both sides. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the Trump administration, they have sort of been rattling that saber and saying that, you know, change is going to come and we're going to cut back on this and we're going to enforce the laws that are in the books more harshly. But every time, I mean, there's just no capital will behind it. Like no one wants this. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I can kind of play well 
in front of a particular crowd or something, but when it comes to actually getting anything on the books, like, like it, there's just no no way to get it through at this point. Yeah. For the states that have reached maturity on this curve, or are headed toward maturity on this curve, like Colorado, are they marketing themselves, first of all, as destinations based on the fact that weed is legal? And how are they doing that? How are they communicating about it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they are. You know, it's, it, it's a for sure a huge business. I think one of my favorite quotes and one of the things that kind of inspired a bit of our approach with Gossamer was Arthur Fromer, like a couple of years back, you know, in his, I don't know, he's in his 90s now, said as far as he was concerned, cannabis is the biggest thing to happen to tourism in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just can't imagine, you know, that nothing will change or impact it more than than weed tourism, as, as we've so eloquently put it. So it's definitely happening. I think in California, you're seeing it kind of in Northern California, similar to like wine tours. Um, and it literally is in wine country. And you're sort of seeing, I think, certain um, vineyards doing a combo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you see a lot of pop-up dinners um, and people sort of advertising um, ticketed events like that. Colorado, certainly there's the recommendation of sort of like flying into Denver and picking up your goodies for what you might want for the mountain weekend, mm-hmm. um, right? For whether it's ski weekend or hiking, I think it's had a huge impact on weekend getaways and bachelor and bachelorette parties. Um, there's certainly, I know at least in my sort of cohort, uh, I feel like more and more friends are having bachelor and bachelorette parties in places like Aspen and Colorado in the summer. And that's for basically one reason only. Yeah. <laughs> Although if Vegas figures it out, then, yeah. you know, yeah, exactly. they, they, can, they can stay right in Vegas. Mm-hmm. No sign yeah. of Tennessee or, Knox, or uh, Nashville, right? But I think in terms of marketing the industry, um, I think there's still a lot of, I don't want to say growing up, but maybe elevation that needs to happen. Um, you know, it's still so, so young and super nascent. So you don't have like a Condé Nast traveler for cannabis, right? Or well, that, we do now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you said it, not me. Um, but, uh, or, or brands that are necessarily like of that, if they are if they are of that caliber, are maybe not household names yet. So there is still, uh, I think we're still waiting for the inflection point of when things will tip over and really break through to like a mass audience such that, you know, your mom or, um, you know, cousin or friend from medical school would be like, yeah, this is what I'm doing and I know where to go. And I think from a marketing standpoint, uh, they do have a bunch of challenges that won't really evaporate until there is more time with legalization. Um, There's a lot of misunderstanding of what, demographics they're targeting. There's not a lot of consumer research that's been done because obviously, you know, that was not possible beforehand. Uh, And so some of the things I've read a lot about are that the typical weed tourists use a lot older than was originally predicted. Like it's not, you know, a bunch of like kids who want to like go somewhere and smoke weed. They've got their parents' basement for that. You know, it's like older people who want to, you know, have this as part of an experience that they're interested in. It's, you know, less less about kind of the party vibe and more about a holistic experience for them. For uh, sure. Like, you know, because of the sort of confusion around legality in a lot of places, especially with the federal status that it has now, state tourism boards can't get involved. And while that may seem like a dowdy, you know, kind of old school system, I mean, those people have a lot of money and they spend a lot of money on campaigns and they give a lot of money to different industries and they're just not ready to fuck with that yeah. <laughs> thing yet. So, which, you know, totally understandable, but uh, but I think that is kind of holding some of this stuff back as well. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the two sort of my favorite fun facts are the two fastest growing demographics of cannabis consumers are 55 and up is number one. Uh, and number two is first time young moms in their thirties, um, <laughs> which I think makes total sense to me uh, after childbirth <laughs> after. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. Like the idea that, you know, instead of having wine to unwind, yeah, um, sure. or instead of like getting drunk, which yeah. is, you know, has a, uh, I think a much longer recovery time and a bigger impact on impairment. Um, they're turning to cannabis to relax and to get a good night's sleep, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, for sure. You're exhausted. You you have kids. Um, yeah. I, no, I, I totally can see that. I, I mean, and it's funny that you mentioned that it was a bipartisan, mm-hmm. you know, sort of issue. It, it is probably the one thing that I could converse with my deeply Republican father about. And he's in that over 55 yeah. demographic, clearly, right? Um, 
I haven't had that conversation with him, but it'd be really interesting. <laughs> you can just send him this podcast. I know, I know, <laughs> I know his history. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, so. what's funny is as soon as I tell people what I do, it doesn't matter where I am, like how corporate the meeting, how many suits are there. Like you say, like, you know, I have a publication for, um, people who smoke weed and the stories start coming out they're yeah. like oh yeah well my parents they over to you know they got too high on edibles in portland last weekend and you know i was smoking a joint just last night watching netflix and it, it's like as soon as you open the door to talk about it yeah um in a way that makes people feel comfortable like everybody's got a story it really does feel like everyone's parents have a <laughs> butter thc cookie in their freezer like everyone everyone's yeah. for sure yeah so as this industry takes shape what kinds that you mentioned bud and breakfast i'm wondering what other kinds of experiences products services you know are are starting to spin up here the things i've seen map very closely to the alcohol industry mm -hmm. right so wine tastings um you know you can go experience different strains by smell, which is also, you know, like the terpenes is like the, the I think, the industry and sort of um, nitty gritty term. You can go for, to, for, for, for like the, for like the, no, the, the bouquet of, yes, a, of a glass exactly. of wine or whatever. Yes, yeah. Okay. Um, you can go tour like growing operations. You can have um, joint rolling tutorials. Obviously, you can have paired dinners with different strains through each course. My personal prediction, I think what we are trying to help drive forward with Gossamer at least, is experiences in the future that focus less on the product itself and more on the experience um, of the before, during, after. Because I think that maps more closely to the way people actually consume it, right? Like. Obviously, there are people who love to go on wine tasting tours um, and get really, really into like the details of wine and which year it is and vintage and whatever else. But I think there is a much larger audience that's kind of interested in like, yeah, I will get a little high um, and enhance this experience I was already going to have. So maybe that's, you know, hikes or concerts or movie screenings, um, comedy shows, um, you know, art exhibits I would love to the like comedians gallery. are definitely in favor of yeah, that I think so like gallery tours artist studio tours yeah. um, I think things that are less about the product itself and more about the experience you can have while um, consuming it that personally is much more interesting and I actually think like speaks to a slightly more like elevated consumer yeah I mean we're seeing things like um, the standard in California and LA now is offering uh, Lord Jones edibles and their mini bars just the fact that something like Lord Jones, which is a very high-end sort of edible company, is able to exist and market itself as sort of top shelf, top shelf products. Even you know, it's it's CBD jellies and things. Right. But I was going to say the, the one thing with that is that it's their CBD only edibles, right. non-THC ones, because yeah. the standard is not licensed as a dispensary to oh. sell actual THC. But I would heartily recommend Lord Jones CBD and having that in a mini bar is great. And so, it, so even if they were to buy it from somebody and offer it in a, in a mini bar for free, they can't do that? Uh, I mean, I, I would... They, the offering things for, for free, free yeah. is a real loophole in a lot of places. I know in DC, for example, I think a lot of times you, you know, sort of with purchase buy things. So you can buy a book and with purchase get a you know dime bag or whatever. You know, there's just like other ways to do it. Uh, I think that they're able to directly sell through a mini bar these edibles because uh, as Verna said, like they're not THC. So they're not psychoactive. Yeah. But you know, you go into a lot of hotels like the standard, right? I was at the Andaz in LA, which is like right up the street or whatever. And they have the stuff in the minibar, which you have to pay for, but then they also tend to lay out like a little set of things totally. that are like gratuities. Could they include, let's say, a cookie or something in that? I mean, the, technically speaking, they could. I would say probably most hotels want to be careful about it just from a liability standpoint, right? I mean, very, very few bad things happen from someone getting high. They fall yeah. asleep or watch TV or whatever. But I would assume if you're a corporate hotel, um, you don't want to necessarily be giving a customer something that could impair them. But you can see it going there because they'll For give sure. you a bottle of wine. Yeah, of course. I know? mean, of course. Right. That's the. I mean, that's part of the the legal argument, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think absolutely it could go there. And I think that CBD in particular, I don't know how familiar you are with it, but it's... Um, Somebody said this. I heard this for the first time the other day. Yeah. So it's... It, there are myriad, like to the point, I think they estimate hundreds of different um, 
uh, cannabinoids in the cannabis plant. THC is one of them. CBD is another one of them. And they are derived literally from the same plant. But CBD does not have any psychoactive effects. It does um, help, you know, studies have shown with inflammation. Um, They do use it quite frequently um, on children who have epilepsy um, as it helps control seizures. Uh, People, I think, talk a lot about how it helps them feel sleepy, sleep better, relaxed, um, you know, all of those sort of quote-unquote benefits. But because it is non-psychoactive, has no THC, and is technically derived from the hemp portion of the plant, it's totally legal across the country. So Gossamer, for example, we have had a couple CBD-infused dinners in New York City. Um, obviously, there are plenty, uh, not plenty, but there's a handful of really great, and uh, I would highly recommend um, sort of brands that are doing THC-infused dinners in a place like New York, even where it's illegal. But I think, you know, we just kind of want to stay a little bit above board and make sure we're doing everything by the books and just love CBD. Uh, So that's another way that you can also dip your toe into it. Um, And that's, I think, exactly why the standard is doing what they're doing with Lord Jones and CBD, because it's legal. They don't have to worry about it. But, you know, their guests will sleep better and hopefully feel better in the morning for having tried it. And they can say, we have this thing. Totally. I think, yeah, it's a stepping stone. It's sort of like, you know, they're pointing direction this is all going in. Yeah. Like a nudge. What else are you seeing in terms of, uh, you know, you were talking earlier about the parallels to the wine industry. And I'm wondering two things about that. One, you know, you talked about the kind of upscaling of things. There's this level of sophistication. And I feel like I've heard dribs and drabs of this coming out of California and Colorado, where you've got dispensaries that have a range of different types of weed that people can buy. There's a complexity to the blends or, or mm-hmm. the plants that they're putting together. They come from different places. They're they're at least alluding to this notion of terroir. Totally. They're a- alluding to the notion of what would be in wine, like, like blending like um, that you do mm-hmm. at a winery. And I'm wondering, you know, first... How real is all that from you guys' perspective, you know, as as journalists, as people who are witnessing this as consumers, but also as as kind of objective observers at some level? And second of all, like, is that real? Is that something that has real foundations or, Verena, you know, the point you were making is that they're going in that direction because that's a path that everybody understands because of wine and and spirits. It's for sure real. Um, And it's definitely something I would actually say like a very sophisticated cannabis consumer understands and can appreciate. Um, I think what I would say is that the community of very sophisticated cannabis consumers is very, very small. And that is, you know, for a variety of reasons. One, it's still federally illegal. (laughs) So if you're in a state like New York, like you don't get to go into a dispensary and ask about strains and terroirs and, um, you know, how it was grown and whether it's organic, like you're, if you're purchasing it, you're getting what you can get. Right. Right. Um, So I, I think there's still a lot of education that needs to happen on a consumer level. And I think right now, a lot of, um, media around cannabis treats it like a novelty, right? Like this brand new thing that you've heard of, um, weed and so you know you're getting these really like gimmicky things that pop up like you know weed and yoga <laughs> or uh weed and people are like yeah we've been doing that for right 30 like, people years. Have been, or, i mean literally <laughs> millennia right yeah. like people have yeah. been consuming it for millennia um so i think what is gonna happen though is a slow sort of education i think there has to be an acknowledgement of the different tiers of consumers like the type of person that is maybe just coming maybe they you know took a bong hit in college and swore off it forever because it was like a nightmare experience and now they're coming back to it and want to dip their toe into it and need to have their hands held at dispensaries and there are a handful of dispensaries I think that do that really really well Um, but a lot of them can be very overwhelming and I say this as a female too and something that inspired launching Gossamer was uh, that they're not always the most comfortable spaces right you know they are historically male Um, they aren't necessarily catering to a more cautious audience and you are starting to see dispensaries take. Is there like a headshot vibe? Yeah, for sure. Very headshot vibe. Exactly that. Um, but you you do see a handful of great ones. I mean, uh, Portland in particular, you have Pharma and Sarah, which are two that I would like recommend heartily to anyone, um, including like if I had to, the litmus test I, t- I say is, would I send my mother there, um, who is like <laughs> terrified of weed and like really still hasn't quite wrapped her head around what I'm doing. Like, hi mom. But those are two places I would send her. Like I would say, you can walk in there and they will take care of you Um, and there are not a ton of places like that so until I think you start to see those that kind of retail experience pop up where it matches the experience people are accustomed to 
you know, at a coffee shop or, you know, a lot of dispensaries start to compare themselves to like an Apple store. Um, until it matches that experience, I don't know that you're necessarily going to see like the education and the sophistication because it's not going to happen on its own. Right. Yeah, I remember um, in 2014, we were doing working on a story uh, for Modern Farmer out of Colorado because they had been they had legalized uh, recreational pot I think for a year at that point, and one of the things they were coming up against was everyone who had any background in this business had built everything based on secrecy. Yeah, uh, it was all about you know not letting people know what you were talking about, not you know putting things on display, not you know speaking in coded terms and all of that. And they were trying to teach these people how to move into a mainstream market, but it's really hard to just switch that mentality overnight. And it, you know, for many years, and this is, you know, to a certain extent ongoing, it's not a hundred percent clear that they won't pay a price for some yeah. of that. So I do think that, you know, you, you really had to start afresh in a lot of places with people who were coming into it with a slightly different mindset of, you know, who their consumers were, how to speak to those people what those transactions would look like, you know, how to how to position themselves as something that was approachable and not something that was like literally like an elite, like a drug deal. Yeah. Um, so I, I and I think that's that's finally coming to fruition, especially in places like Verena was mentioning, um, you know, Portland, of course, has some, some great stuff going on and, and Colorado is definitely trying to get there. Yeah, I think the one thing um, which hasn't come up and it doesn't necessarily fit neatly into a conversation around weed tourism, but I think has to be part of any conversation you have around cannabis um, is the political ramifications of the fact that it has been federally illegal and more specifically the war on drugs and more even more specifically and unfortunately um, I think the entirely disproportionate effect it has had on communities of color mm -hmm. so even you know having this conversation which I don't know it's not video it's not uh, visually recorded but We're we are white three people. white people talking yeah. <laughs> about um, traveling to California and Colorado to smoke weed um, you know that's fucked up yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, I, if I'm allowed to say that um, so I think part of the conversation needs to also be as these cities and states come online and go recreational I think the conversation that consumers also need to be made aware of is what they can do to help fight for the legislation um, and the social justice arm to catch up. So it's really crazy. Like I sort of made the joke about like yoga and, and weed because, you know, that's something that publication wrote about recently. And you see a blowback immediately that is like, how can you be writing about like smoking weed and doing yoga when there are people sitting in jail for that? And that's something I think we try to drive a little bit forward with when you're talking about cannabis and when you're talking about lifestyle and tourism and whatever else, it's not necessarily a political conversation, but cannabis is inherently political. Um, so anything we can do to sort of like bring that to the forefront. And I think what I would be most interested in seeing personally from from brands and, and uh, companies interested in going into the tourism space would be some sort of social justice component with it, whether it's like a portion of their proceeds or going to organizations in the space like um, Hood Incubator, which is a nonprofit um, venture fund that is specifically dedicated to giving people of color um, funding to enter the space or um, even donating to something like the ACLU or the Drug Policy Alliance um, that is sort of like trying to get the um, the penal system and, and, and social justice side of this conversation up to speed. So I would I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't bring that into this conversation. That's just such a good point. Really, I'm so glad that you brought that up right now. It's very well said. So how are you seeing that play out in, in California right now, right? I mean, they're, I think they're trying. Um, what's frustrating about it, it is not... It, right now, the onus is on the individual. So um, California is recreational. That doesn't mean the state just turned around and said, cool, anyone who's in prison or jail for cannabis, you are now free and your record has been expunged. In fact, it's the complete opposite. That person has to petition. Um, they have to get a lawyer um, to petition and apply to have it overturned. In most instances, they are, but that takes time and effort. So I think... The hope, though, certainly is that as this conversation becomes more popular and as more and more media publications, media and publications start covering it, they lend the same level of coverage to that as they do to, say, yoga and cannabis. I mean, it occurs to me, too, though, that you're going to end up with two big economic forces that are sort of opposed but not necessarily opposed. Mm -hmm. uh, on the one hand, the weed industry, whatever constitutes that, right? the legit weed industry, which could be multi-billion dollars. 
And the prison industrial sort of business, which is deep in California, like yeah. very extensive. In, that's why I asked about California is because I don't know the situation in Colorado. I lived in California for a long time, and it's certainly a huge player in, in mm -hmm. state politics. And it seems to me that one of the things that could sort of change that or could sort of stand up to them is if you got the nascent weed industry as it gets more and more sophisticated to lobby yeah. on behalf of mm -hmm. some of these changes, yeah. right? I don't know that they will because if you've got a bunch of new, why, you know, like what's the incentive for them to do that? Uh, you know, I think I've noticed a, a certainly a big change, at least even in the last two years since I've been paying attention to the space and, and working on the publication that I think two years ago you could get away with just saying, you know, we're like this new big VC firm and we're investing in everything cannabis. And um, I think in the last year, um, for a variety of reasons, I think probably very specifically uh, a result of the political climate and how um, I think activated people feel, you can't really get away with it. Um, you know, I think it's it's very hard to have a public conversation and to get I think consumer backing, um, particularly online, if you don't acknowledge that sort of disparity. And I think this is like kind of at this point, for better or for worse, like branding and marketing 101, like mm -hmm. have a mission, right? Have some sort of like social activism arm to your brand. For better or for worse, I think there's lots of brands that just do it because like that's a buzzword. Um, but I think in cannabis, you're certainly seeing it. I know I've had conversations with brands. Um, Bloom Farms is one. They are a, they make edibles, they do flour, they have vape pens that they do in conjunction with packs, and they're just like a super premium, high quality product. Um, and they also, you know, donate a portion of their proceeds um, to different sort of social justice arms and, and nonprofit missions, let's say. So I think those are the types of brands that I, that makes me want to support them more, and they're going to get more coverage personally. Yeah, I think that was a long winded answer for what you were saying. But those are all really good points. And I totally agree. Those are the types of places I want to support as well. I do. I'm I I do think that with a lot of the people in the industry, there's a desire. I mean, the fear is so strong of being associated with any sort of crime that there is sort of a, uh, I see a lot of brands now that are trying to associate themselves with the environment yep. or, you know, with sort of green living, green life, wellness, you know, wellness, wellness. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I'm just talking about like giving back, like, you know, to, to different farms and in, in the area or working with, you know, like local agricultural systems, uh, I think that I really appreciate the brands that do embrace a social justice aspect. I think that is what absolutely should be done. Um, but I, I think it will be interesting to see how many people actually end up, when we're talking about a huge booming yeah. industry, do the right thing. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you're 1,000% right um, and probably much more realistic than I, than I am. <laughs> I'm just, I, uh, I just would I would hope any brands that are listening to this um, pay attention and you know the one other thing I'll say when which goes back to Kara what you were saying about training you know people who have been in the cannabis space for a very very long time to move from like you know out of the shadows and secrecy into a legal capacity there's a huge amount of education um, and a comfort level that comes with that and certainly communities of color that have you know been I think historically and disproportionately associated with the cannabis industry are the most appropriately fearful of, you know, trying to go above board with it because, you know, for all anyone tells them, like, don't worry, here's a piece of paper that says you're allowed to be doing this. Um, I would imagine that for most of them, that doesn't really mean all that much. So there are organizations that are dedicated to like that sort of community management and support and education. Supernova Women in Oakland is one of them um, that focuses specifically on women of color. But their main uh, impetus isn't even money. It's just saying we are a resource for you. We can be here for you and walk you through the rules, um, make sure you know your rights um, and help you go to the right meetings and apply for the right licenses and regulations so that you're doing this above board in a way that makes you feel comfortable. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think, again, California is this really interesting canvas for all of this stuff because the portrait that you just painted is accurate mm -hmm. and it is what people think of, but you've also got a ton of farmers up in Humboldt County. Yeah. And, you know, that equation looks different for those guys. For sure. You know, they've been living off the grid and they've been illegal for, as Carrie, you were saying, for a long, 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 long time. And getting a lot of money and not having I, to pay taxes. Exactly. And yeah. so, like, the way that this sort of trickles down across the culture of a state like that, you know, that is so diverse and so big, is really 
going to be interesting to see, I think. Yeah, and what is interesting also um, from a state-by-state perspective, I think I was reading something, and I wish I could remember the source, but about Alaska, for example, that their biggest problem is supply. It's not demand. Um, Like, right, they're recreationally legal and people want to buy it, but they haven't been able to catch up and grow it in Mm. order to be able to, like, their dispensaries regularly sell out. Um, You can't trade it across states? No, you can't ship it across state lines, right? Although that's becoming a whole other state issue. There's a lot more illegal trade going on as, you know, farmers can legally grow in certain places and there's more demand in other places. Obviously, that's causing, you know, some, I think while generally like crime is down in places that legalize marijuana, that smuggling issue has has sort of become a a new problem. Yeah. And that's a whole nother um, like financial resource, right? I know that, I mean, this is getting a little too like B2B and insidery, but I know that certainly this country and the states are looking at Canada because Canada has gone federally legal. And one of the things Canada has talked a lot about is export. And, you know, if Canada is going federally legal and saying like, it's cool, the world will supply you with your cannabis. um, That's a lot of money that this country is leaving on the table. Yeah. Could California ship to some other country? I don't believe so currently, but I know that that's something they are like, because that California is interested in being an export, obviously, for yeah. cannabis. Like the Netherlands, I think you're, you cannot mass produce marijuana there. Right. I think we are an importing marijuana country. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, and I think that's one of the issues people have is that the places with the highest demand are often the places least viable for meeting that demand. So, I mean, California would be a, that perfectly poised to support an international industry like that. It's bigger than kale. It's got us all eating kale. Why not? Um, I would, I would certainly argue that at least CBD is like as buzzy as kale was a few years oh, ago. Yeah, so yeah. 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 Sure. You guys have, have sort of spoken to this a little bit, but are you seeing any interesting things, any creativity, any serious focus on it in the food world? Any chefs that are sort of like, check out my new tasting menu? 100%. Um, I know personally, having sort of come out with a publication for people who consume cannabis, we have gotten a ton of inbound from chefs being like, this is a space I want to be in and I'll cook a dinner for you. There are certainly some chefs that I think are already doing it publicly and really, really well. In New York, Miguel Trinidad um, is the founder of, uh, I think his company is called The 99th Floor, and they do a series of ticketed cannabis-infused dinners. He is the owner, I believe, of Jeepney and Maharlika in the East Village, um, amazing Filipino cuisine. And I'm not saying anything out of turn. He's very public about this. Um, We, for our dinners, teamed up with um, Gerardo Gonzalez, who's the chef at Lolito in Chinatown that is an also incredible restaurant and super high quality. And we did CBD, but he was really, really excited by it because he felt like it was both, you know, an interesting new ingredient to play with. And there's like flavors um, and sort of different uh, texture and and smell profiles that you can add. Um, And I think like anything with food, uh, I think chefs get excited about you know, how can I make this more surprising and how can I add dimension to the meal? And then there's literally the obvious that is stoned people really, really like food, right? <laughs> um, I I have said for a while now that I actually think the best stoned dinner in my mind would be one in which you got really high beforehand and then just ate all the food that was not infused. Um, because the ones I've been to, I get so nervous about how much I'm eating and I want to be able to just eat a lot of it and not think about the fact that I might get super, super high. So yeah. um, I'm all for one in which which like maybe there's past hors d'oeuvres and like a couple of vape pens floating around and then just like the best meal on the planet after that. Yeah. And I will say I used to work in uh, professional kitchens and it's not like chefs are like, oh, what's this new weed? They don't really experience, shall we say, in this world. And I know that when, you know, chefs are cooking for one another, there's definitely an eye towards like, you know, it would be just fucking rad if you were Blaze, like this amazing, you know, umami bomb that I secretly make, you know, with seaweed in the back. Like there's this sort of stereotype as with so many things in weed tourism that it's all about like, you know, eating Twinkies on the sofa, watching TV, but there are really beautiful- You say that like it's a bad thing. (laughs) Are you feeling judged? (laughs) Are you feeling attacked, Brad? To each their own, to each their own. But, uh, 
but yeah, I think that chefs are, are very excited about the opportunities that this opens up. And, you know, the fact that alcohol is so closely related to fine dining when really it, uh, it often is a suppressor of taste and, you know, kind of competes with food in a lot of ways. This is something that I think a lot of chefs are excited about because it would present them with so many opportunities to connect with their diners in a different way and to serve a different type of food that is really exciting to them. Um, so I, I definitely think the sort of you know, let's get high and, and eat cool stuff model is one that would be worth looking into right now. For sure. I mean, you could do so many, so many interesting things with that. You put together the sophistication, increasing sophistication with different types of weed and the high that you get from them and sort of what the sensory impact is. And then you put that together with a menu, right? Like, so now I'm going to, we're going to get you high in this particular way. And now we're going to give you a menu that really plays to that in an interesting way. For sure. That could be a ton of fun. Yeah. You know? So I, there's definitely consumer demand for it. As far as I've, um, as far as I know, obviously it's like purely anecdotal, but all the chefs, um, that I've spoken to that have done weed dinners, like they sell out like crazy. Yeah. People love them. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, and I think Kara made some good points about, about kitchen culture and weed. <laughs> you, you know, uh, you talked, I think it was you, Kara, who mentioned, well, you started it, Verena, talking about, like, where can people smoke? Like, you know, again, you have these two competing sort of priorities where people don't want smoke. So is it always going to be edibles? They don't want smoke for health reasons, whatever, you know, because smoke um, yeah. creates a different set of problems, right? Um, so there are examples of this in the vaping world, mm -hmm. right? Like, so you've got, like, little vaping emporiums where people can go in and try different types of vapes. What is next on that front? What are the barriers? What are the obstacles? Where, where does it head? Um, vaping is definitely the fastest growing category in cannabis. Um, so obviously like pure flower, which is the term for um, like the, the bud, so to speak, <laughs> um, is still the biggest. But in terms of like year over year growth, vaping um, is, you know, in blowing everyone out of the water. Um, and I think it's for that exact reason. There is like the sort of health connotations, um, even though, you know, I think smoking cannabis is much healthier certainly than smoking cigarettes, but it's also scentless. It's easier. It's something you can like in theory, get away with a little bit more in public. Um, so I think vaping is a big part of it. Certainly edibles are then the second fastest growing category for that reason. I just think there's a lot of trepidation around edibles because most people, if they don't have their own terrible experience, know a friend that has had a terrible experience. Um, part of that has to to do with dosing, which goes back a little bit to the education portion. And I think this is something where the industry still has a lot of catching up to do. Um, the analogy I kind of use is that right now, um, because it's so exciting, the idea that you can like access it readily, um, it, you know, gets people into it, that the approach is kind of like dollar pizza, like bang for your buck, like a giant slice for a dollar and it's delicious and pizza is pizza. Um, but I think that the future and what people are more you know, interested in is going to be much lower doses. So right now, what I would say the most industry, the mo most of the industry says is a low dose edible is 10 milligrams. Occasionally you will see places suggest five milligrams is a low dose. There's a couple things there. One, I've consumed cannabis on and off for almost 20 years. And I will tell you that like five grams gets me, five milligrams gets me like very, very, very high. And there are very few instances <laughs> in which I have any interest in consuming 10. So for anyone to describe that as a low dose for someone who's never tried it, um, I think that's like not dangerous, but like the person is going to probably be unpleasantly surprised. Right. Um, the second thing is everyone's metabolism is different. So we have like an endocannabinoid system in our body that maps to the plant mm -hmm. um, and everyone metabolizes it in a very different way. And it has nothing to do with the way you metabolize food or alcohol. So you could be a hundred pounds soaking wet, or you could be, you know, like a linebacker and maybe you can both consume the same amount of cannabis. So it really is about trial and error. Um, and that's where edibles are dicey and if I can like give any sort of like PSA, it would be start milligram by milligram and see how you feel um, uh, before you sort of like dive into to that. But they can be lovely, right? Like they they are something you can sort of like consume it well. You can have in your bag. Um, I personally love a little bit of an edible before I go to sleep at night because it kind of kicks in as I'm falling asleep. Uh, but I think that will definitely contribute to what you were talking about in terms of how to consume it. And then personally, this is the last thing I'll say, is I've, I'm so interested in like a hotel or a private club or space that allows for, for smoking um, or, or consumption, let's say. And, and ideally one that also programs with experiences um, and even like networking or engaging. Like it shouldn't be all about cannabis, but should be just kind of a place that allows people to meet new people um, because I think nothing fosters a connection um, more 
than sharing a joint with someone, let's say, even more than sharing a beer or coffee, because there is something still super intimate and illicit about it that it feels very confessional. But um, do you think it could be that? Is it, doesn't it have to go to the vaping sort of space or something like that? And is that like, the same? Well, one thing I'll mention about the vaping is that I think um, up until now, you've really seen vaping being associated with um, cigarettes. Mm -hmm. So on planes, on, you know, in airports and hotels, you always see the same restrictions put on any sort of vaping that you would see put on cigarettes. I think that especially as the uh, cannabis industry grows in strength, they are going to fight tooth and nail to decouple that association and to very much make sure that weed vaping is its own activity, that it is regulated separately, that it is considered different. I mean, and you know, anyone who's ever even smoked just a normal joint knows that it does not linger in the same way as a cigarette. So I I think that increasingly there will be pushback on where vaping is legal, how it's distanced from the cigarette industry and uh, kind of changing the rules that were put into place very I think constructively to limit public cigarette smoking, but are not useful when it comes to a world of public pot smoking. Yeah. You know, the, the travel industry is made up of a bunch of giant corporations, right? Hotel chains and so forth. How are they handling this in the places where it's legal and where there is a lot of marketing around um, weed tourism? I'll be honest, I don't know of a ton of examples other than the standard, obviously, which I think sort of very shrewdly and smartly and in a way that feels on brand for them, yeah. jumped on board with Lord Jones as a partnership. I think that beyond potentially working with tour groups um, and sort of itineraries, like, you know, maybe selling packages, so to speak, like come for a f- come to Portland for a weekend getaway and we'll give you, you know, team set you up with a, a, a tour of courtesy of Sarah, plus like handpicked, you know, edibles and whatever else. I don't know of a ton of big corporate chains that have jumped on board. Um, I don't imagine that it will take long for them to get there because they are smart and their business is hospitality and also in making money. But I think that most of the big brands, and that's true in hospitality, that's true in basically sort of any aspect of the industry, are especially any ones that are like publicly traded um, or, you know, a Fortune 500, they are kind of taking a little bit more of a wait and see attitude to how things shake out and making sure that public perception of their brand wouldn't fall and or that they aren't running afoul of any federal issues. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as we've seen recently, it's it's extremely hard for these tourist behemoths to pivot to a different model. They're extremely worried about alienating the base that they do have. And so I think where you're starting to see a little more movement in this area is, you know, on Airbnb, people search for 420 friendly or, you know, different different codes like that, that that Airbnb is aware of and is sort of allowing that to creep in and trying to figure out a way they can integrate that into their model without, you know, necessarily having all the answers yet. But they're at least, I think, taking a stab at it. And I think we'll also see um, sort of a reverse takeover of this space in some places, um, we ran an article in Rosen Kingdoms on a place called Nipton, mm. Nipton, California, where a cannabis company is actually coming in and building a resort, mm. you know, and inviting people to come in. And while they can't actually sell weed there yet at this point, based on the existing laws, they're offering it exactly as a public space in their private zone where you can smoke pot comfortably, where you don't have to worry about any kind of harassment by law enforcement or anything like that. And so, you know, you don't necessarily have to wait for the Hyatt to do it. You can just, you know, have all these people who are like, we're growing all this weed, we're selling all this weed, but no one knows where to smoke it. Someone just build a hotel yeah. and, you know, let everyone get like, a Hyatt. I mean, Nipton's a great, they literally bought a town. Uh, yeah, they, they, bought they bought a town. Ghost town. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the smart, It it it's so many, this is so interesting. Like, yeah. So many things are coming together. You've got these, these big companies that the struggle that they constantly have and the thing that they've been doing lately is imitate boutique hotels, like smaller hotels or smaller chains like the Standard or the Highline here in New York. And they struggle with seeming, you know, hip and cool and, and of the moment, right? They feel mm-hmm. very fuddy and old. So the longer they wait and the more out front those smaller brands get with things like this, the more they own the space, the yeah. more they own that that sort of, and then they play catch up. But then you've got also this note that the Nipton sounds like it's like what West Elm did getting into the hotel space. It's like, yeah. well, we need a place for our stuff yep. and yeah. we want to connect with the consumer in a more holistic kind of way. 
And it's so smart to do that. They probably also got a lot of capital lying around. Yeah. I think it also goes hand in hand kind of with the experience. And uh, certainly when we talk about like the Gossamer audience, we describe them as people who are sort of open-minded and adventurous and curious. And I think certainly from like a travel perspective, if we're creating like a profile for them, they are the type of consumer that's going to stay in a boutique hotel or a private villa or Airbnb as opposed to like a big box corporate chain. Um, and I think part of that is the experience, right? Like if you're someone who is also like going to take a weed tourism trip, you probably want a room that has like a ton of character and maybe like is a little bit idiosyncratic or feels like you are having an experience that is very specific to you as opposed to one that it, that is being duplicated by a thousand other people in that hotel at the same time. So I think that like personalization and I think that's true across the travel industry as a whole, right? Like everyone wants to feel like they're having this very unique trip or they're going somewhere that hasn't, you know, that that is just on the cusp or, or what is the next new place that not everyone has gone to. Um, and I think that that's particularly true with any something like cannabis, which is certainly like much more adventurous in, in, in a certain way than your average like weekend getaway. For sure. Yeah. Now, if anyone is not to out myself as the worst person in the world, but like if someone wanted to open a beautiful resort in the middle of nowhere in Nevada and just offer stargazing pods where you could get high and, you know, eat something delicious and gaze up at the Milky Way. I mean, like that's not the worst kind of uh, business to invest in right now, I would say. I would 100% go stay there and also ask yeah. them to like stock Gossamer in the hotel rooms. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. There's the plan right there. Yeah. Um, thanks to both of you for coming and talking about this. It's fascinating. And at this particular moment in time, it's really an interesting subject and uh, really cool to watch happen. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We're on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. Visit us at cntraveler.com. The Women Who Travel podcast is back on the air in season two, so you better be listening to that. Verena, can you tell us a little bit about Gossamer mm -hmm. and where people can get it? And Yeah, um, I believe this is, this is airing on Friday. It's uh, airing on Friday. It's airing on Friday. So um, first issues are shipping basically on Friday. You can order it online at gossamer.co. Um, and we will be in a handful of select dispensaries, um, one particular hotel partner, and some select stockists, all of which will be rolling out in the next few weeks. But in the meantime, gossamer.co is where you'll find us. Awesome. Yeah. And where can people get in touch with the two of you guys online or any other place? Yeah. Um, I mean, Gossamer, all, we are at Gossamer on Instagram, um, at Gossamer HQ on Twitter. And you can find me at, at Von Verena um, on both of those. Kara. And I'm at, at Kara Parks on Twitter. And I'm also same on Instagram. Um, I'm pretty easy to find. And uh, you can also find out more on uh, roadsandkingdoms.com. Awesome. And if you find either one of us, we'll introduce you to the other. <laughs> yes. We are Condé Nast Travelers at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube and CN Traveler on Instagram and Twitter. And please do tweet at us. Let us know your experience of weed tourism, if you've had any. Um, we'd love to hear about it. Uh, any recommendations are most welcome. Um, we'll share them back out. And reviews on iTunes. Send us feedback. And I'm at Bradrick. So have a great weekend, everybody. Bye.